Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Well, you know, Dan, the Bible says that uh, if you break uh, one of the commandments, you've broken the whole law. The commandments are all interconnected. And my good friend and colleague, religious liberty expert James Standish, has developed a, a, uh, an approach to understanding religious freedom that discusses what he calls 12 interlocking rights. So, James, I'm delighted to welcome you back uh, to talk about these, not 10 commandments of religious freedom, but, but 12 interlocking rights. Well, it's great to be back with you, Alan. You know, every right is, uh, it can be phrased very simply, but when you think about it, you have to break it down into components. What do we mean by a particular right? And that's what I've had to do for a submission that I'm writing to the Australian uh, Senate that is working on some uh, issues of international religious freedom. And I gather that, that one of your premises is that you need to have all of them working together. What happens if one is missing? That's the problem. I mean, you can have an incomplete right, and you know we have that uh, in, in many areas, but uh, the right is never fully expressed if you miss one or the other, and often they're interdependent. That is, uh, for example, uh, you can't have uh, freedom to uh, to worship publicly if you don't have the ability to uh, create houses of worship. You can't have you can't have the ability to create houses of worship if you don't have the ability to uh, staff those houses of worship with people who share a common belief, you, and and so it goes on. So they're all all connected, and I, you know maybe if we talk through them, it'll be easier to understand. Sure. So uh, let's start with. Uh, you know, start at the beginning, the right to believe, and you have also, or not to believe. Well, that's right, and we're, we're very fortunate in that the uh, United Nations uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant on Civil Political Rights both cover religious freedom, and both were written in a way that uh, is quite expansive. And I should, very interestingly, there was a group of Christian and uh, Jewish uh, leaders who were really the force behind getting the Universal Declaration of Human Rights uh, moving forward. And that's, a, that's an interesting story within itself. There's a reason why these rights uh, are so compatible with, with our general view of religious freedom. They come out of that, that mix. So the, obviously the right to believe or not believe, it, it's a private right an elementary right, and it's something that we don't take for granted because many people have been killed just for having a different religious belief, but it's hardly the end all of religious freedom. So from there we go to the right to worship communally and publicly practice your faith. Once again, this is explicitly protected in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and in other international legal documents, but having something protected doesn't mean that it's necessarily uh, a reality, and that there's a huge gap between what what countries sign on to in the international realm and what they actually actually uh, engage in. And then it connected to that is the right to be protected from crimes against the personal property motivated by hatred against someone's religion. In other words, you can have the right to speak about your religion, the right to practice your religion publicly, but if you're not uh, protected uh, from attacks against you uh, because of that, uh, well, 
know, you don't really have religious freedom at all. And I've, I've traveled to many places in the world where the right to practice your faith is guaranteed. Uh, you're not protected from private attacks against you if you do so. So, for example, in northern Nigeria, there are a number of places where churches have been attacked and uh, and members killed uh, by uh, uh, Boko Haram and, uh, and associated groups. And um, really, the, the, the protection uh, has not been forthcoming. So, so that's another you know, incredibly important component. My understanding is that in Nigeria in the past several years, more than a thousand Christian churches have been destroyed. Yeah, I can tell you from traveling there, it's, a, you know, it's an edgy place. I've met with the Sharia Council in the northern Nigeria, a number of leaders from a variety of backgrounds, and it's an edgy place. Um. So, let's see, the right to instruct children in religious beliefs, I know that was severely restricted in the Soviet era. It was. Uh, as an example, Jews were not allowed to teach, uh, you know, the faith to their children. Um, and, that, and that's had long-standing, as you know, long-standing implications. We have a, lot, a number of Jews who have immigrated to Israel, for example, who really don't have a—who uh, come to Israel— without a depth of knowledge about the faith. And uh, once again, when I was in Israel, I met with some folks there, you know, obviously learning about their faith, but, but because of that, that, that link from uh, parents to child were broken, it, it's hard to reestablish it, and, uh, and that's a very difficult... It is right guaranteed in the, in the Universal Declaration of Rights, or, you know, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, that we do have the right to instruct our kids uh, children in our religious beliefs, and, and it, that's a, an important aspect. Uh, obviously, the right to express belief, very, very important component is the right to change belief. And this, once again, is, is one of the most commonly violated aspects of religious freedom. I, I worked with a um, uh, with an Iranian uh, who had converted from Islam to Christianity, and uh, I helped him uh, escape uh, really uh, terrible persecution um, he was uh, beaten within an inch of his life by the authorities there. And, um, but it, it, it's contained in the international document, and it's something that every member state of the, of the United Nations is meant to comply with. Obviously, they don't. Well, I know, you know the right to change your belief is one of the central issues in, in international diplomacy involving religious freedom, because there are so many countries that do restrict. They consider... But this is closely um, related to the right uh, to express your belief. It is. Uh, and, the right and to share to, your belief. Right. Um, once again, which is also uh, protected. You know, um, some years ago, we were struggling with how to communicate the value of religious freedom to the very secular and very liberal courts here in California. Mm -hmm. And we came up with, uh, you know, an adaptation of the phrase, um, you know, no man is an island, and the concept that no right is an island. And we argued to the court the um, connection between free exercise of religion and other fundamental rights that the court had expressed a considerable um, value in. Uh, I think of the fact that the First Amendment itself contains not only religious freedom, but freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, and all of these rights are very connected uh, to religious freedom. 
Um, there's, there's only connected, but I think that there's overwhelming evidence. And George Brandeis, who's Attorney General of Australia, actually gave an outstanding speech um, uh, to uh, to a gathering out that uh, there uh, in 2015, where he made the case that actually religious freedom, uh, the, the, the struggle for religious freedom, was actually the genesis of these other civil and political rights that we take for granted. For example, freedom of speech, right of assembly, those types of things, all came out of the uh, struggle in the UK, uh, in, in Britain, for religious freedom, the, the struggle in the, in the English Civil War um, between uh, Cromwell and, and the King, and uh, and that from that whole milieu, we now develop uh, these ideas of, um, of of civil and political rights. In other words, it, it is not just the first right in the First Amendment, but it actually is the foundational right from which all others flowed. Well, I think historically that's absolutely correct. And so I, I don't think we can put enough emphasis on freedom of speech. That's exactly right. Now, the other thing, that the, the other area that I think very, very important is the right to create faith-based entities, and associated with that is the right to operate faith-based entities according to the religious philosophy of the sponsoring community. And this is something that we're under tremendous uh, pressure in some places over, and uh, it, it, it's clear from you now in, in National Instruments that, that having that right is, is core to what religious freedom is all about. In fact, the, the international documents talk about, for example, faith-based schools and other charitable organizations, which are at the core of, uh, of religious expression and religious communal life. Well, and James, I think this goes to challenge um, something in the American mindset that we kind of take for granted, which is we think of individual rights. We're a very individualistic country, but religion is not just, you know, in the Protestant sense, yes, your salvation is, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but there is a very strong community element to religion. And, you know, my day-to-day -day work uh, is not only protecting the rights of individuals, you know, for example, with Sabbath observance to be able to participate in church. It's not just their right not to have to work. It's, uh, it's the freedom to participate faithfully and regularly in communal worship. Absolutely. So the rights of the community are also very, very important. That's exactly right. And and in, for many faith traditions, and I'm not saying all, but many, uh, communal activity, including the coming together to run religious schools, hospitals, clinics, um, aid and development organizations, charitable uh, relief organizations, all those other things that the churches and other faith communities do, they're not accessories to the faith, but they're core to how the faith is expressed in community action. So... Those protections are incredibly important, and of course, they're under a lot of pressure, particularly the right to operate entities uh, consistently with with the religious principles of the of the entity, particularly when it comes to hiring rights and other associated rights. Well, we're certainly seeing that here uh, in the United States. We're seeing challenges to to those rights. Yeah, I'm sorry. Any others? We just have about two minutes left. Any other rights? that are part of these 12 that we have? Sure. The right to be protected against uh, religious discrimination by government or secular entities. And, you know, that's where your Title VII uh, religious accommodation work comes in. Uh, other nations also have similar provisions. Australia does, Canada does, and, other, and others. Um, 
they have uh, the right to have religious beliefs accommodated when they conflict with general societal laws in some circumstances. Now, the, both the international uh, uh, documents as well as uh, U.S. and Canadian Australian uh, law all uh, provide for this, but the exact test of how to balance those those rights is, is complex. Sure. And then finally, uh, the right to have religious freedom balanced against other human rights. In other words, if religious freedom is a fundamental human right, it can't just be a second-class fundamental human right. It has to be a right that is uh, treated with respect and deference when it, about uh, other human rights in a way that uh, minimizes the conflict and respects both as uh, well as can possibly be done. Well, you know, in a little more than 10 minutes, James, I think you have um, given a profound and comprehensive outline of the scope of religious freedom. Uh, certainly look forward to your completing your article, and um, uh, when it's done, listeners will go ahead and post a link to it on our website at churchstate.org uh, so that uh, you'll be able to read it, because I think it's going to be something that uh, we're going to want to refer to, and, and people are going to want to read more about it. Um, so, James, we've been talking about your piece on the 12 interlocking aspects of religious freedom, 12 interlocking rights, with our guest, James Standish, uh, religious liberty expert par excellence. James, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Hey, thanks so much, Alan. Thanks for having me. And, and just to all your listeners, it's nice to be back on the show. And uh, stay strong. It's tough times for religious freedom, but together we can defend it. Amen. Freedom is not free, folks. Be informed. Get involved. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. You can check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. Churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.